listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Cynical world. A cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. You complete me. And I just had... Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. One of the cheesiest lines ever in the history of rom-coms. I don't know if that counts as a rom-com, but uh, one of the cheesiest lines ever. Uh, not the you had me at hello. That's pretty nice. The uh, you complete me. Um, that, I mean, it, it is kind of the foundation of a lot of the, I guess you can say, dramatic elements that Hollywood pushes into the concept of romance and into the concept of our lives and how they are completed by a special person. Uh, one of the cheesiest lines, uh, honestly. But here's the major problem. It's not Jerry Maguire's fault, the movie, that is. The problem is that Hollywood sells and packages a couple of lies. So I want to start today by just going through a few of the lies that Hollywood, Hollywood sells and packages. Hollywood sells and packages the lie that we are completed by some romantic love. Sometimes they call it a soulmate. And this means, this is the problem, it means that our lives are not fulfilled until we meet that special someone. Remember, this is a lie, okay? This is a lie that Hollywood packages. But that's what we grow up watching. I mean, it, it, all the movies throughout all the generations have, have had that element. Hollywood sells that the so-called hot men are rebels that are only tamed by an amazing woman that's amazing enough to make him change. You know it. <laughs> and that men only commit to a relationship when they are ready or when they've lived out their fun days. These are the lies, okay? These are the lies that Hollywood sells. Hollywood also sells that weddings must be big, right? Hollywood sells that weddings must be big and that a wedding is the most important event in a woman's life. <laughs> kind of ridiculous, right? Because that means it's only downward after that. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's really bad. Uh, but again, these are the lies that Hollywood sells. And here's the problem. Here's the consequences of those lies. Some women place their value in their ability to tame bad men. <laughs> Being honest, man, I've seen it. We've all seen it. We all have those friends, or some of us have been those people. Some men live compromised single lives, fearing that full commitment will hinder the fun, or they must wait to be ready, right? This especially happens a lot to millennials for some reason, right? I don't like blaming millennials. In all honesty, in a sense, baby boomers are to blame because they scared the, the, the living daylights out of the millennials. Relationships are horrible. Marriage is horrible. Kids is such a burden, right? So everyone's to blame, really. <laughs> but the point is that 
whether you're a woman, again, the consequence of these lies that Hollywood packages is that you, you place your value, some women, in their ability to tame bad men. And men live compromised single lives, fearing that full commitment will hinder their fun, or they must wait to be ready. That's, that, this is some of the problems that we face. Uh, of course, Jerry Maguire was wrong. As we just saw there, he said, you complete me. If there were a sequel to Jerry Maguire, we'd see how unhappy as a person he is after that uh, because he sought to be completed by, uh, by his romantic interest. See, the truth is only God completes you. It's one of the biggest lies that we have to fight nowadays when we think about romantic interest. When we think about uh, our lives, especially uh, for people that haven't found someone yet or that might not find someone yet, Society has pushed into us, whether through Hollywood or not, that we're not complete, that something's missing. I come from Puerto Rico, and in Puerto Rico, it's a big deal if you're not married after, you know, well, it used to be like 18. Now it's like you're getting into your 20s, and your parents are like, so what's wrong? I mean, yeah, you graduated, great. You have a PhD, great. great. You did all this, but where's your kids? When are you going to give us the kids? When are you going to get married? And, and, and a lot of people are treated uh, in, in, in a poor way, in fact, there's like these little words in, that we use in Puerto Rico for women after a certain age don't get married, and it's horrible. And here in the States, it happens as well. I thought it would be a little different, but no. Uh, we, we see marriage as part of the package of the thing that everyone must do, and it's a lie. Paul is going to show us today that marriage is not for everyone. It is not. Singleness, on the other hand, we'll see later, not now, but we'll see that singleness is in fact a gift. But we must start by addressing the main issue, which is only God completes you. That's why it's a lie to think that we need to find that special someone, or that there's a soulmate. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The work that started in you, which includes a plethora of things, spiritual blessings, growth, uh, a holier life, uh, ability to overcome the power of sin, uh, becoming the person that you were called to be, all those things, that's a work in progress in you that, started by, that is started by Christ and will be completed by him. That's it. It is only brought to completion by God. There's no romantic interest that could ever do that for a person. Psalm 107 Psalm 107, verses 8 through 9 says, Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the sungry soul he fills with good things. This is a concept we've talked about here before, the fact that the true yearns that we have, nothing, and today we learn no one, can fill except God. Okay? In a previous message when we were talking about valuing valuing God rightly, we said there's nothing that can compete with God. Well, today we're adding something. No one can compete with God. No one can fill you the way God does. There's just nothing or anyone that can compete with God in that sense. John 4, Jesus, again, a passage we've seen recently, tells us this once again. In verses 13 through 14, he says, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give 
him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Saying not, there's a yearn within you as a human being. It's, it's part of our existential crisis. Things that we're constantly looking for in our lives. There's something missing, something missing. It's Jesus. That's all it is. And we get more and more of him. So we always feel a little bit of that longing until the day of Christ when we're fully with him and we have full access to him. But there's, there's nothing else that can fulfill the gaps in our souls. There's nothing else that can fulfill the gaps in our personhood, uh, in our emotions, in our psychological development. Nothing else other than Jesus. He satisfies the longing soul. He will give us to drink so that we'll never be thirsty again. That's what Jesus does. Now, um, if you haven't guessed it, it looks like what we're going to discuss today is the concept of singleness. Because, uh, well, because of what we saw, the, the, the clip, the concept of being completed by no one other than God. So we're talking about singleness. But I know there's a lot of people that are married here, and here's the, the, the surprise. There's a good message for us married people in this sermon as well. And I'm not going off of something that I uh, came up with. It's something that God spoke to me through 1 Corinthians 7. You know, when you go to the Word of God consistently, you keep finding new things. And I was shocked in the last 48 hours to find some things while looking for nuggets for the single people. I found some things that were invaluable to married people. So today, if you open your Bibles with me, we will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to jump through a few verses here and there, but that's what we're going to be. So the first thing I'm going to do is read not all of chapter 7, but most of the verses in chapter 7. You'll see them on the screen that we'll be studying today. And then we're going to break it down, okay? Now, I want to give you the setting before I start reading it. Paul is addressing a people that thought that sex is bad, okay? Paul is addressing a people that were Christians and they thought sex is just bad. And even if I'm engaged to someone, I probably shouldn't get married because that means I have to consummate my marriage and uh, sex is bad. It's a physical thing. And see, the Christian faith is different from religious understandings. It doesn't say that sex is bad. It says that sex is good within the confines of God-defined marriage. It's amazing, right? But... It's within that context. And so what Paul is trying to do is these people were so concerned with being uber spiritual that they thought they shouldn't consummate their marriage for those that felt like they should get married. And so he's speaking to both single and married people in that light. In that light, he's trying to say, look, it's not bad, but however singleness is for some people. So let's go ahead and read. I'm going to go first through verses uh, 1 through 9 and then 25 through 40. Let's start at verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now in, the Bible, in a lot of the versions of the Bible, that part is in quotation because he's addressing something the church had brought up. The, these people were concerned, oh, it's not good to have sex. But here's his reply. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, sex outside of marriage, that's what that means, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority 
over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. It's a two-way street. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So something that's immediate right there is that sex is indeed not a bad thing. It is a marriage-confined activity, and it has multiple blessings, which we're not addressing here. Now, as a concession, not a command, notice that distinction there. I say this, so he's clarifying this is not a command of God. Verse 7, I wish that all were as I am myself, But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now we're going to skip to verses 25 through 40. Now concerning the betrothed, those are the, the, the women that are engaged, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So again, he's not commanding. He keeps saying, this is not a command. This is not a mandate. This is advice. And it's trustworthy, he's saying. Verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. He keeps clarifying that. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. That's a clarification. I'm not trying to tell you marry or don't marry. But to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. I'm going to stop there because it's a lot of verses and we're going to break them all down soon. Now, the first takeaway that we've already hinted at is that sex is amazing and is meant to be enjoyed in the confines of God-defined marriage. Singles don't test drive sex. Singles don't test drive sex. Let's look at verses 2 through 5 of that same chapter to see what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, if the temptation is that strong and you do have someone you're considering marrying, then you best not have sex outside of marriage. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. 
Later in verse 8 and 9 again, he reiterates these things. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. So again, sex is meant to be within the confines of marriage. This passage, like many others, reiterates it because Paul keeps saying, if you can't contain yourself, then you're a person that does not have the gift of singleness. You're supposed to get married. You're supposed to get married. If you can't contain yourself, don't go and participate in sexual activity and avoid marriage. That is not the point. The point is that sex is to be within the confines of marriage. If you can't control yourself, meaning if you don't have the gift of singleness, get married. Now, we must understand, we said, we said that we don't get to test drive sex. And I have to clarify that because when we talk about sex, the definition of sex is not Bill Clinton's definition of sex. Some of you understand that reference. We know what sex is. We know when we're being sexual. And that's what Paul is talking about. Sexual immorality is being sexual outside of marriage. That goes from the smallest things to the biggest things. That goes from pornography to lusting to etc., etc. Outside of marriage means sexual enjoyment outside of your spouse. That's what it means. That's sexual immorality. So a lot of youth nowadays try to compromise and say, well, I didn't have, pardon, we're all adults here, I didn't have intercourse, so it's, it's not sex. That's the Bill Clinton <laughs> definition. But we know when we are being sexual. That's the point. And when we teach our kids and our youth about these things, we need to clarify. They know also at a certain age, at a certain point, they know when they're being sexual too. And to be sexual outside of marriage, that's the problem. Now, it brings a couple of other points. Sometimes we try to wrestle with this for those that are single. They try to wrestle with it by saying maybe the Bible's outdated. It just doesn't make sense. It was practical back then, but it's not practical now. No, the Bible is not outdated, for it is the Word of God. And because it is the Word of God, it is eternal, non-changing, and it has been spoken living and active, as Hebrews says. So it is continuing today. Is it hard to follow? Yes. So it's not outdated, but it is hard. But often, doing the right thing is inconvenient but leads to pure joy. Take that with you, because that applies to concepts beyond marriage and singleness. Doing the right thing is often inconvenient, but ultimately it will be what gives you pure joy. You won't get joy out of half-compromised lives. You won't get joy out of compromising certain ethics within your biblical framework. You won't get joy out of doing it halfway. If you take the hard way, and you do choose to obey God, you will get pure joy. Otherwise, you will be unhappy. You will look consistently at yourself and say, well, is this wrong or right? I want to convince myself that it's right, but it's actually wrong. It just leads to turmoil. 
We want to seek pure joy. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard, but it leads to pure joy. Jesus reminds us that if we want to know whether or not we're his disciples, we do have to do the often inconvenient, but he promises a helper. This is not on the screen, but in John 14, verses 15 through 17, he says, If you love me, Jesus is saying, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So here's what Jesus is saying. If you love me, you will obey me, and I'll help you to obey me. Okay? If you love me, you will obey me, and I will give you a helper, the Holy Spirit, to empower you to obey. That's his promise to us. Now, the issue at hand that we want to revisit today, because we want to treat singleness rightly, we want to restore singleness to its rightful place as a gift that has unique advantages over marriage, we come back to the point that singleness is a gift, and at, all, at some point, we all experience it. We weren't always married. Singleness is a gift with two advantages. That is, advantages over marriage. It avoids an extra burden during the time of distress. We'll talk about that. And it gives you single-minded devotion to God's work. So singleness is a gift. And this is so important because we often treat single people like they haven't completed things in life yet and in a sense they have a gift that's much more powerful again whether unwanted or not sometimes we get gifts that we don't want right (laughs) gifts can sometimes be unwanted but it's still a gift and it still has its advantages an extra burden is avoided and you can have single-minded devotion to god's work let's jump in again into first corinthians chapter 7 In verses 6 through 8, he says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I am myself, or I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. That means marriage is also a gift. These are different gifts. We're not supposed to think of one as superior to the other. Rather, one is more advantageous. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Again, he reminds us that this advice to remain single is something you can trust. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Now we're going to jump to verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. We need to understand what it's saying there is that on top of the devotion that we have to God, we have other interests as well. And you can ask any person that's married, yes, there are challenges to being married, right? There are things to overcome, hurdles to overcome. Again, it's a gift, but it does bring certain burdens, as we see there. Finally, though, the advice that applies to both married and single in verse 35 is the following. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, not to tell you get married or don't, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's advice that's given even to the married people. 
we can't seek to be completed, whether we're single or married, we can't seek to be completed by our significant other. We can't seek to be completed by our, our romantic interests, by our spouse. They don't have the power, the ability to do what we need done. They're flawed, they're sinful, they make mistakes. And I know a lot of you are like, preach. <laughs> we, we all say preach to that one, right? Married or single, we must live in light of eternal future reality. Married or single, we must live in light of eternal future reality. Marriage as we know it, it is just a shadow of the true eternal marriage of Jesus and his church. The main gist, the, the main point that Paul makes is in verses 29 through 31, and here we hit the bricks. Because for now, all that we've said is good. To be married, it gives you certain advantages. Uh, you get undivided. To, to be single, you have undivided devotion to the Lord. You don't experience some of the burdens of marriage. But what's the main point that both married and single people take away? It's in verses 29 through 31. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of, the, of this world is passing away. This is where married people get to remind, we get to remind ourselves of something that single people, again, they're experiencing already. They're in preparation for a future to come. When we get married, we say, till death do us part. Because there's an eternal reality. There's a kingdom that's already here, but still moving in, still coming, in which the church will be married to Jesus. The church. Jesus clarifies in the Gospels that in this new reality that is to come of the new heaven and new earth, we're not given in marriage to husband and wife the way we experienced here and before Jesus came. It's different. In fact, the Bible teaches us that our marriages to each other, to our spouses, are just a reflection, a shadow of the future grand and true marriage of the church and Jesus. Us married as a bride to Jesus the groom. It's a weird analogy, but the problem isn't that the analogy is flawed. The problem is that we are so one-minded with marriage that we're not used to thinking of it that way. The, the idea is that the marriage to come will do away with the old order of things. I work at CBU, and right now there's a lot of construction happening at CBU. Right? Rochelle says, yes. I can see it every day. There's a lot of construction. New buildings coming in every day. And what we as employees, faculty, staff see every day as we walk through campus is, wow, this new building is, is almost done, but it's not quite done. It's almost finished, but it's not quite finished. It's here, but it's not here yet. I can't walk into it. That's the reality of the eternal future that we are going to experience. See, the kingdom of God has come, but it's not fully here yet. The kingdom of God is here. 
Christ, the, the Holy Spirit has been given to us to live a new reality, but it's still moving in. Like there's still things that are being doot, 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 parked into certain places, new parts, uh, metal, steel that's being hammered into place. We see it. It's already here, but it's not fully here yet. That is the reality of the new world to come. The kingdom of God is in that move-in process. It's here, but it is still coming. I see it. It's almost complete. That's the reality that every Christian has been living since the days of Jesus. He's speaking something to a people that applies to us because we're still in that time. We see a new reality that's under construction. The kingdom of God is here, but it's still moving parts in and it's still under construction. Until the day of Jesus, we're still accommodating everything to that new reality. And what Paul is telling us here is that even though you are married, even though you've participated in this activity that is of the old world, now there's a new reality that's moving in and you have to start changing your mind. You have to think about the true marriage. And that doesn't mean don't love your spouse. On the contrary, in heaven you'll love her even more perfectly than you possibly can now. But the marriage... The intimacy that we will have will be with Jesus, the only one that can satisfy our longing, the only one that can take away the thirst. So whether single or married, we decide to remind ourselves that, yes, we're participating in some of the old world activities, but we're keeping our eyes towards the new reality of a kingdom that's already coming, preparing for a greater marriage, where marriage as we have experienced it, spouse to spouse, will no longer be because we will now be married as a church to Jesus. This is what it says in verse 31 when he says, for the present form of this world is passing. Paul already sees it. It's on its way out. New parts are coming in. So he says, not just to the married people, but he says about everything we do in life. This is, this is much more than just marriage or singleness. He's saying, don't buy stuff the way people buy stuff. People buy stuff because they're investing into something for a long and fruitful and amazing and wealth-driven life of financial security or of goods. And Paul's saying, don't buy that way. That world is over. We're moving in the new kingdom. Now you buy things to glorify God, to fulfill your mission, to fulfill the great commission. Now you mourn the way that you would mourn for the kingdom of God, not the way you used to in the old order. A new kingdom is being moved in and constructed, and you have to now start adjusting your mindset. That's why Paul tells us in other letters, we must renew our knowledge. We must renew our minds, as it says in Romans 12 too. He's asking us to no longer deal with the world the way we used to. We still have to do the things. We still participate because we're reaching to people. We buy stuff. We marry. We stay single, etc., etc. But our new reality is what keeps us focused on how we do those things. So whether married or single, whether buying or not buying, whatever it is that you're doing, seek to do it with a new mentality of the new age to come. Everything is for the purpose of our marriage to Jesus Christ as a church. 
Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. Let's go ahead and pray as uh, the worship team comes back. Father, I pray that you would help us install this new mindset. That we would understand that for those of us that are married, we continue to love our spouses the way Paul teaches us teaches us in Ephesians, that for those of us that are husbands, that we would love our, our wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. And that for those that are wives, that they would seek to, to live for Jesus and they would, do, they would mirror that reflection in how they treat their husbands and how they love their husbands. But more importantly, that those of us that are married would keep in mind that that's all just a reflection of the one true marriage. Our spouse does not complete us, only Jesus completes us. That we would live according to the new reality that's under construction, coming in, and soon to be that much closer every day. For those that are single, Lord, I pray that you would give them the peace of knowing that singleness is not an incomplete state. Singleness is a gift. Whether wanted or unwanted, it is a gift that allows us undivided devotion to the Lord and spares us certain burdens. I pray that you would give comfort to those who are single and that you would bring uh, devotion and love to the marriages. But more importantly, that all of us would seek the one true marriage in all that we do. I pray for the tithes and offerings as the ushers come forth that they would be multiplied so that people may want to participate in the greatest one true marriage ever, being in fellowship with you, where God says, you are my people. You are my church. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.